morning. Welcome to Crosspoint this morning. We're glad you're here with us. I want to invite you just to come on in and join in worshiping our Savior this morning. And, and uh, I love that. Oh, come let us adore him. And it's not just adoring this little baby. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have these moments, not every day, not all the time, but man, I wish it would be like that, where I truly adore my Savior when I think about what he has done for me. I cannot help but sing his praise and, and just be in love with him. Amen. I hope you feel that way. I hope you know that that is how we can respond as followers of Christ in the truth of what he's done, that we can love our Savior. Amen. 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 Let's continue to sing to him. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes to the one who's reigning over us, for he is overcome. Fill the skies, fill the skies with a song, as heaven sings along to glorify the sun. 
of our singing, we take, a, take our offering, and I've been asking some cross-pointers lately on why they give an offering, why they give financially back to the Lord, and uh, I just want to read one of those testimonies to, you, to encourage you. Ever since we were married, our family has given to the body of Christ. There's never been a feeling of giving out of obligation, but out of necessity to see the kingdom expanded. God has given talents to so many to further the kingdom of God, but there's also financial need in those ministries to keep them working. If we're not willing to give back what God has so blessed us with, then we're not allowing faith to work in our lives. There were times in our marriage early on when we didn't have a dollar to our names, literally, and we still found a way to faithfully give. We've always been taken care of, never found that we were short on finances because we gave, but we always gave wisely. It's honestly a joy to give, and we find it a blessing to seek out ministries, families, and individuals to give to that are honoring God and giving God glory through their ministry and lives. This is such a great reminder that our God is faithful. He will meet our needs. And when it comes down to it, our God, it's a joy to give to our God because He is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere in this world. He owns everything. Everything is His. And so that's why we give. We give in response to a God who's been so generous to us through the giving of His Son 
And so if you call Crosspoint your church home, I encourage you to give generously, give joyfully. If this is your first time here, feel free to let the, uh, let the basket pass by. Uh, Father God, I pray that you'd be glorified not only in what we give, but just in our attitude, in our motives, in our desires. God, we continue to worship you. We lift you high for being faithful in a thousand different ways to a thousand generations. I pray that what is given here, God, it would be used to expand your kingdom so that more would come to know you as Lord and Savior, so that more might come to know the hope and love that is found in you and you alone. May you be glorified in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you for giving us your son who was born into the humblest of uh, places and yet who reigns so supremely on high. And we praise you for that. And we declare him King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and Emmanuel, God with us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to sing with you already. This morning, uh, we often say that we don't believe you're here by accident, but we believe that it's God's work in your life to, to be with you today, to have you here and to hear from God's Word and to be changed by it. I want to share with you some Crosspoint family news. Congratulations to uh, this guy, Eric and Bree Johnson, on expecting number four in July of next year. So be praying for their growing family. And then um, a couple Sundays ago, 
we gave shoe boxes. We sent out shoe boxes between the boxes that were packed by sun chasers and those that were packed by your households and brought in. Uh, we sent out 287 shoe boxes, which is our highest in all eight years. Um, so, uh, praise God for that. In central Illinois, uh, between all the churches, over 28,000 shoe boxes were sent out from this area. So, um, it's a joy to give and serve alongside you and to uh, just to thank you for saying yes to God's mission to, to reach outward, to reach children worldwide, globally through that mission. Uh, it's truly a joy to, uh, to give and serve alongside you. If you have a Bible on your lap or on your device, get to the book of Exodus. That's the second book in your Bible. Since September, we've been in Genesis, and now today we begin a new 12-week series called God Delivers. This series will take us through the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And so um, I just encourage you to get resources after the service. There's uh, resources for students and adults uh, back there that kind of coincides, goes along with the series. Whether you're in a community group or not, it's a great resource to get into Scripture the other six days of the week and to start applying it to your life. We'll pause this series then on December 20th and, and for Christmas Eve uh, to celebrate Christmas. Christmas Eve starts at 4.30 in the afternoon. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that candlelight service. I encourage you to be reading through Exodus as well as we journey through this on Sunday mornings because we're not going to get to every single verse in Exodus. And so I encourage you to be getting to every single verse on your own, reading that the other six days of the week. Who would you say God is? How would you describe him if someone were to ask you? If you're only given one sentence, what words would you choose to describe him in that one sentence? Would you focus on God's holiness, his justice, his wrath? What about God's majesty, his magnificence, his beauty? What about God's love, his patience, his kindness? What about that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere in this world? If you only had one sentence, if you only had the length of time from an elevator ride from the lobby to the third floor of a building, what would you say in that time? How would you describe our God? Well, in today's text, that's one question we'll see God himself answer. And he'll do it in two words, totaling three letters. In just those two words, he describes himself so well, so thoroughly. We often talk about it, but it, it bears worth repeating today. Every time we open up our Bibles, whether on our own or on a Sunday morning, is an opportunity for us to learn about the nature and character of God. And some things we'll be reminded of today is that our God responds to His people. He listens to the prayers of His people. We'll also see that God is faithful to His promises. As the Bible tells us, He is not a man that, that He should lie. But rather, the Scripture says that he is a, He's faithful to a thousand generations. So today, as we get into the first few chapters of Exodus, let these words of Scripture, let the Scripture and the story remind us about who our God is. And as a result, may that encourage us in our, in our love for Him, in our worship of Him, in our devotion to Him. The book of Exodus was written by Moses, and it picks up right where Genesis left off. In Genesis, we saw that God began forming this this family of people who would love him supremely above all else, who would love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, cast aside idols, worship only the God of the Bible. 
and the patriarchs of this family that we kind of followed were Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph the last couple weeks. And in Genesis 40, 46, we read this, the first four verses. So Israel, referring to Jacob, so Israel took his journey <clears throat> with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. And there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. So Jacob and his sons travel to Egypt. And remember that Joseph is already there, one of Jacob's sons. And, God's, and God promises to this family that there in Egypt, I will make you into a great nation. And I, God, will go down with you to Egypt. And he will also be the one who brings them back up out of Egypt. These are God's people. He won't leave them. He's got a plan for them. And ultimately, through this family, the Messiah, Jesus, will be born. And then we fast forward to Exodus. And the first chapter, we read this in, the first, uh, in verse 5. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. And then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So this family had grown to 70. And now it's increasing even more and multiplying. And as their size increases, so does their strength. But remember, this is not their homeland. And so the Egyptians are going to get really nervous and anxious about this growing multitude of people. Verse 8 in Exodus 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. In mortar and in brick and in all kinds of work in the field and in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So the Egyptians, who were the most powerful nation on the planet at the time, they enslaved God's people. They deal with them ruthlessly because they want to make sure that they stay enslaved. They, they make their, their lives bitter and hard. But these are people that God loves, people who he has made a covenant with and committed to remain faithful to. He told Jacob back in Genesis 46 that one day, he will bring them back up out of Egypt. And yet we look at this, we look at the situation, we look at Egypt and go, how is this going to get done? How are these chains going to get broken? Egypt is so strong and so mighty compared to human standards. So how in the world will this growing nation of people find freedom? How will they no longer be slaves? And the book of Exodus is going to detail this account for us of God's people being delivered out of slavery because our God delivers. It's in His nature and character to set people free. It's in His nature and character, always has been, always will be, to set 
people free. So the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrew people. And then chapter 1 tells us that, uh, tells that the king of Egypt, he tells the Hebrew midwives, the ones in charge to help deliver babies, he tells them to kill all the sons and save all the daughters. The Hebrew midwives, though, they, they worship and fear God. They, they worship God above the Pharaoh, so they ignore the leader's commands and they continue to do what they've been called to do. And as a result, the, the Scripture tells us there in that chapter that, that God blesses them. This nation continues to multiply, continues to grow. So, on a side note, don't ever think that persecution, outside circumstances like persecution, have any effect on God's ability to work, have any effect on God's ability to move, to overcome, to set free. We'll find in the book of Exodus, nothing can contain our God. So then the Pharaoh, because the midwives didn't pay attention to him, he tells all the people, listen, any son that's born, throw him into the Nile. Save the daughters, though. And into this hostile context, a specific son is born. His mother hid him for three months after his birth. And then when she could hide him no more, she put him into a basket that was all tarred up and put him into the Nile River. And then in God's providence, the daughter of Pharaoh was down there to bathe. One of her servant girls retrieves this basket. Long story short, this basket is brought into, they, they, the Scripture says that uh, they take pity on this son, on this boy. And so they bring him into uh, Pharaoh's home. This is Moses. If you've watched the Ten Commandments, we'll, which will be on next spring with Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner, It'll be on, all right, Prince of Egypt. You're tracking along just fine. Moses gets older. One day, sees an Egyptian beating up one of his people, a Hebrew slave, and in anger, kills the Egyptian, hides him in the, in the sand. He assumes no one sees this. The next day, realizes that someone did see this. Pharaoh catches wind of this. Pharaoh wants him dead. Moses escapes to the land of Midian, is what the Scripture tells us. So Moses has escaped twice now he's escaped death twice and yet the egyptians are still enslaved they're still oppressed their situation hasn't changed have you ever felt enslaved the reality is that none of us have been enslaved as a human before while slavery and human trafficking most certainly are evils in this world that's one reason why we support a organization like she is safe which is intent on, which is its mission is to not only prevent human trafficking, but rescue and restore women who have been involved in human trafficking. And so that's one reason we support them. And so while human trafficking isn't evil in this nation and in this world, you and I probably haven't been enslaved as a human. And yet we have. And some of us still are. We've been enslaved to our own sin. We've been oppressed by our own sin. Romans 6 speaks of this truth, verses 20 and 21. It says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So, so when you were slave to sin, you could care less about righteousness or the things of God. You were set free from having to worry about those kind of things. But then verse 21, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is near. So, so what benefit was that sin? Because in the end, it was still going to lead to death. There was no benefit to it. The reality is we are born with the sin nature. 
that apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, it wants to serve itself. We are enslaved to sin and selfishness unless we turn to Christ. And that reality is confirmed by our experiences, is it not? Maybe at times you felt enslaved to bitterness, greed, addiction to a substance like alcohol. What about lust, gossip, self-centeredness, lying? And so when you feel oppressed, when you feel enslaved to sin, what do you do? What are you supposed to do in that moment? What are you supposed to do in that season? Well, man-focused religion, man-made religion would say, well, you need to stop doing that so that God will love you. You better clean yourself up so that God will accept you. The gospel, though, would say that God loves you, and because of that love, because of His power, because of your surrender, He has the power to change, transform, redeem. The self-help section would say that you can break the chains on your own. The power is within you. But then maybe on the off chance that you overcome something, you probably then become enslaved to the pride that you get from pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. So you exchange one sin for another. The gospel, instead of self-help, says the power is not within you. That we are dead and lost apart from Christ. So we are powerless. We are weak. But instead, rather, the power to change is found not in us, but it's found in God. The power is found in the Holy Spirit that the Lord gives to those who trust and follow Him. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in the Christ follower. So when we feel enslaved or oppressed, what do we do? Well, one thing we do, we see here in Exodus 2, is we pray. We cry out to God. We cry out to the One who actually has the power to break the chains because our God is a deliverer. Our God delivers. Not us, but God. We pray because we know that God listens and responds, starting in verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I love that picture. They are unable to break these chains on their own. They're unable to overcome the Egyptians on their own. This is Egypt. They understand that they are limited, that they are helpless. And so where do they go? They go to prayer. They're crying out for help, for God to rescue, for God to to deliver them, and God ignores them. God pays no attention to them. God says, good luck. No, it doesn't say that, does it? We often think that maybe. It's not what it says. Instead, it says, He heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant to their, to his, to their fathers. He saw and God knew. So it says, God heard. God remembered. God saw and God knew. And maybe we listen to that in, in Exodus 2 and go, well, that's just Exodus 2. That's just their story. That's not, that's not our story. The fact that God is attentive to the prayers of His people is elsewhere in Scripture. Listen to Psalm 34, uh, 15 through 18. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, 
the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. What about 1 Peter 3.12? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Or Proverbs 15.29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. God hears the prayers of His people. He hears the prayers of humble people crying out to God. In 1993, when I prayed and asked God to save me, He heard me. In 2000, when Heather and I are seeking the Lord and His will for our lives, He heard us. He called us to start a church. At different times when I have felt enslaved to sin, chained up to it, He has heard me. He has heard my cry for help. If you're a parent and, you're, and your child cries out at night, not when you put them to bed for the 12th time and they want water or they're trying to find some other, other excuse to get out the door. Okay, not that. But when just in the middle of the night, Dad, Mom, you go answer that. You go answer that. When they get older and they call you or they text you, I need help. I'm in this situation or I've got this or I was in an accident. You don't ignore that. And that is just a mere reflection of our Father in Heaven. What are you crying out to God for right now? Are you asking God to deliver you from a particular sin? Are you asking God to to set you free from this past that, that plagues your heart? plagues your mind, this hurt. What, what, it, maybe it's God to be your strength because you have recognized that you're just completely weak. What, what about for God to be your hope when you're hopeless? See, the Lord hears the humble prayers of His people. Be encouraged. He's not ignoring you. Your prayers aren't going unnoticed. He's heard you. He's hearing you. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, have you asked Him to save you? Have you asked the Lord to, for forgiveness of, for sin and, and thanked Him for His grace and mercy? If not, what's holding you back? What chain around your ankle is more attractive to you than freedom and joy and delight? It's time to leave Egypt. It's time to leave Egypt. If you just take a step back like the prodigal son did, Wait, I, I'm in pig slop. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't, I don't need to be here anymore. If you just take a step back and recognize, the Holy Spirit allows you to recognize this. Wait, I, I don't have to be enslaved to this anymore. There's freedom here. There's joy here. There's delight here. I'm going to go here toward the cross because where the cross is, that's where freedom's at. What's holding you back? It's only your pride. Give your life to Christ and find the freedom that's found in Christ. Verse 24 says, God remembered the covenant. So ever since Genesis 12, God has promised that this nation would be blessed with offspring and land. And one day the Savior would come out of this family and and step on the serpent's head and overcome the devil. God remembered, which tells us that God is going to be faithful to His people. He knew the slavery would happen, though. The slavery hasn't taken Him by surprise. In fact, He told Abram, or Abraham, the father of this nation, back in Genesis 15, He told him that this was going to happen. Verses 13 and 14, He said, 
Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be, so, will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So God knew it would happen, and yet God is not going to allow the suffering, the slavery to be the end of the story. He's saying it's not going to end there. He will bring them back up out of Egypt because God cares for his, his people. Because our God is faithful. He's, a, he's not just a covenant-making God, but He's a covenant-keeping God. And then we get to chapter 3, and we see that Moses will be God's chosen one to deliver this nation out of slavery. Starting in verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Orab, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to, this, to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So God reminds him who he is. I am the God of your fathers. I'm the same God, the same God who called Abraham to go and leave what he, would, what he knew. I'm the same God that provided Abraham a son and Isaac a son. I'm the same God who's been faithful to all those generations. So in this moment, Moses, be reminded who God is. And who is this God? Well, in these verses, it's clear that God is holy. He is all-powerful, enough to make Moses hide his face in awe and reverence. And yet also, he's merciful and gracious because he's not consuming the bush with this fire. He's also initiating a relationship with Moses here. He's not, this, he's not, just a, far, he's not a far-off God. He's a holy God. He's an all-powerful God. And yet he's also a personal God who invites others into relationship with him. See, the Bible calls us to fear the Lord. But that's not to be terrified of him. That's to be in awe of him. To live in awe of God himself. To not live in awe of us, but to live in awe of God. And if we're Christ followers, we don't have to hide from him because we are hidden in him. Our faith and trust in Christ, because of that, we are covered in His righteousness and His grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So God is on His throne. He's still majestic. He's still got a throne. We're not on that throne but we can also approach this throne with confidence because our faith is in the Son of God who died for us and who rose again on the third day. The burning bush story continues in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land 
a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the, peop- the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the, pe- the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So what do we learn about God here? Well, we learn again that He cares for His people. He listens to the prayers of the people who love Him. He knows their suffering, their oppression doesn't go unnoticed. And now God is going to respond to Moses by revealing His character. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses begins with the excuses here. Why he can't obey God. Why he can't be used of God. Why the thing that God is asking of him is too difficult or too, too, uh, too big. Ever been there? God ever asked you to do something, to be obedient to his word in something? And you thought, mm, no, and here's my reasons. Here's my excuses. Whatever it is, I've been there. I've been in Moses' shoes before. Who am I? In a myriad of different ways. And God has been so gracious to remind me that it's not about me. Moses, it's not about you. Moses says, who am I? But I will be with you. That's God's response. So where Moses says he's inadequate, God says, I am adequate. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says this, Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Our competence comes from God. Moses, your competence doesn't come from you. Your ability doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Moses says, who am I? And God says, but I will be with you. To every objection Moses has, God offers his power. God offers his presence. God ultimately will be, will be the deliverer. It won't be Moses. It will be God's power through Moses. It won't be Moses' power. But I will be with you, God says. In the same way, if this reminds you of something in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, and we listen to that and go, are you kidding me? Every nation? I can't do that. And then he finishes his great commission with, but I will be with you. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. My presence will not leave you in the midst of this grand mission. Throughout Scripture, God is continually reminding His people of His presence at all times, even when the task, the mission, seems impossible. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is His name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So Moses asks a very fair question. If I'm going to represent you, Who am I representing? Who do I say that you are? Tell me about your name. Tell me about your character. I am. 
I am who I am. That seems a bit mysterious, does it not? A bit, what? But I love it because it tells us so much. Because God is unwilling to focus on just one aspect of His infinite character. I am. Are you truth? Yes. Are you grace? Yes. Are you justice? Yes. Are you merciful? Yes. And on and on. He is the I am. Our God was never created. He didn't come into existence. He is not incomplete. He has no weakness, no fault. He lacks nothing. He, he is self-sufficient. He isn't in need. He can't learn anything else because he already knows everything. As a staff, we're reading um, A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy. It's a book, basically, what I would say, trying to describe the I am. And what's funny is about the chapters, the chapter is only like five, four to six pages long. And basically, the chapter more or less says every time, we can't really get our minds around this fully, but, but here's what we can allude to, or here's what we can see in Scripture. I encourage you to read it sometime. But I am who I am. I have no equal, no comparison. Let's be honest. We can't even get our minds around that, right? I can't get my my finite mind around a God who lacks nothing because I lack things. I can't get my mind around that. You know what? I'm okay with that because if something is worthy of worship, if something is worthy of giving my life to, if something is worthy of trusting in, even in death, even in suffering, I shouldn't be able to get Dave's mind around it. It should be worthy of worship. It should be on a whole other echelon. Otherwise, what's the point of faith? Otherwise, why do we sing? Why do we worship? Why do we give? God reminds Moses, the same God who is with your fathers is the same one who is with you. And so for those of us who are trusting in Christ today, we are reminded that we worship the same God as well. His presence is with us as well. You're not alone. You're not left to your own power, your own strength to overcome that sin, that weakness, that past. The I am is with you. And next we read that God responds to the cries of His people by promising redemption and freedom from Egypt. Verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of, out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of, of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please, us, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the, to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. This redemption from slavery has been promised. God said in Genesis 15, he will deliver them. God said in Genesis 46, he will bring them back up out of Egypt. Now he's saying it again. The slavery won't be the end of the story. Egypt won't be the end of the story. The slaves will be set free. 
Listen, in Christ, we've been promised that through faith in Him, we've been set free from the slavery of sin as well. And while we might struggle with remaining sin in this life, one day for those who have repented and believed the good news, we will finally and forever and eternally be set free from the effects of sin. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Moses will be the deliverer of the Hebrew people. Jesus is our deliverer who sets people free from the yoke of slavery. Moses was the mediator. Jesus is our mediator, according to 1 Timothy 2.5. He's the one who could bridge the gap between an unholy people and a holy God. Here in a minute, we're going to take communion together. And when we take communion, we are remembering that Jesus is our mediator. He is the one who died the death that we should have died. He is the one who reconciles us back to our Creator. He is our life and our salvation. So, so who would you des- how would you describe God in one sentence? Well, we could say that He is the I Am. We could also say Jesus. Jesus. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says that that uh, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. Throughout the book of John, Jesus continually had some I am statements. And notoriously, the Pharisees and the religious leaders wanted to kill Him right after them. But He said this, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. In John 8, 58, he tells the religious leaders, before Abraham was born, I am. Very next verse, they pick up stones to kill him because he's claiming to be God. He is God. He is God in the flesh. So Jesus didn't come into existence at Christmas. He came in the flesh. That's what we celebrate. The I am has come to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Pharaoh was intent on killing every son being born. In the same way, if you remember, Herod was intent on killing every son being born. But even that scheme would not stop God's plan because God's plan wasn't that Jesus would die as a baby, but that he would die as a man, a perfect man, dying in our place. So you don't need to be a member of Crosspoint to take communion. The Bible says you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ someone who's following him as Lord and Savior of your life. If you're here and you're, you're still exploring who Jesus is, but he's not Lord and Savior of your life yet, we're grateful that you're here. We love that you're here. You're not here by accident. But I'd encourage you to honor what Scripture says and pass the elements on down the row. If the ushers want to come up now and begin to pass out the trays, the, the bread and juice are on top of one another, so make sure you get both as they're passed. But use this time... I don't know what your December's like, but use this time to pause for a second as the Advent season begins to reflect that Jesus is our deliverer. He is the one who has set us free. That's what we remember. That's one thing we remember as we celebrate communion together. And we'll take it together as one church family afterwards.
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. If the band can come back up now. Father, we are, we are eternally grateful that you sent your Son to rescue us. We're grateful that you loved us enough to send Jesus to be our deliverer, our rescuer, our redeemer. God, as we think about the Israelites who, who one day, that God promises that, that they, will, they will be blessed with possessions, they will be blessed in abundance as they are set free from slavery. We consider our own freedom that we have in you, the, the way that you've set us free, and then how we have this eternal home that awaits us that we have every spiritual blessing in you, Jesus. You've been so good to us, so good to us in salvation, so good to us in this life, and so you've promised to be so good to us for eternity. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that when we were powerless, when we were helpless, you've sought us out. You've died for us. You rose again for us. Thank you that the same spirit that, ra- that raised you from the dead lives inside of us as Christ followers. Remind us of that this week where, where we might be tempted to submit to another yoke of slavery, slavery of sin. God, help us to be instead slaves to righteousness, slaves to the things of God, to be chained up to you. And in you there's freedom and there's joy and there's delight. You're good to us. You're a good and perfect heavenly Father. Thank you for your love for us. For those here who don't know you, you, I pray you'd draw them to you and they, they would come to know you as Lord and Savior today, that this Christmas season would be different. We worship you as the I am. We worship you as the one who is on your throne, who is in control, and we are so grateful. So as we sing, God, we boldly and humbly come before your throne to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. And stand up and sing. Wanna be close, close to your side, so heaven is real and death is a lie. I wanna hear voices. Angels above singing as one. Hallelujah, holy, holy God Almighty, the great I am. Who is worthy? None beside thee, God Almighty, the great I am.
Great. 
this week to live in light of that reality, to live in light of that truth 24-7, day by day, moment by moment, not just when we're gathered in, a, in one room, but when we're scattered in, at school and at work and at home and everywhere in between. Help us live in light of who you are and how great and majestic you are. Thank you for being the I am and thank you for coming in the flesh to rescue us. We praise you. We lift you high, not only together corporately, but individually as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Meet somebody new before you leave. If you're a guest, I encourage you to fill out a connection card. God bless. Have a great week.